Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. We're basing our preparations not just on the most likely scenario, but on the reasonable worst case scenario. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Syke. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. So there we go. The government's stepping up or at least preparing to step up its approach to tackling the coronavirus. It's been quite light handed compared to some of our European neighbours. We'll get into that in later parts of the programme. But people who show even minor signs of respiratory tract infections or a fever, anything like a sore throat or a cough, will soon be told to self-isolate. That change in advice could happen within the next 10 to 14 days. England's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr Jenny Harris, says the country needs to be prepared. We will see many thousands of people infected by coronavirus. That's what we're seeing in other countries. And the important thing for us is to make sure that we manage those infections and make sure that those individuals who are most affected, so our elderly people, particularly those with chronic underlying conditions, get into hospital and get treatment. And that really is the key thing, just getting the efficient system working in a way that means that at least if they can't contain, they can at least try and delay, which is what we're being told is the way the government is now thinking about the whole crisis. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Dr Caroline Johnson, Conservative MP for Sleaford and North Highcombe. Uh, Dr Johnson, welcome to the programme. Thanks very much for being with us. Um, I don't know whether you were able to hear the earlier part of sound that we put on the programme, which was an interview we did with Rory Stewart a little bit earlier, uh, or from an interview, in which he said the government really isn't doing enough because it isn't taking it seriously, isn't meeting often enough, isn't taking almost a military approach to this. I mean, he's got a point. The government here seems to have woken up quite late to the whole problem. Uh, I disagree with uh, Rory. Um, you know, he's a great former colleague, but I think he's wrong on this, actually. The, the government is taking this very seriously from the start. The Prime Minister has, since the um, first cases, been receiving twice-weekly updates and more from the science and chief science and chief medical officer. Um, he's had meetings with COBRA. The um, health secretary has been regularly, frequently, in fact, into Parliament to answer other members of Parliament's questions on the subject. He's given regular statements. He was in the House answering questions just yesterday. The chief medical officer has been giving private briefings to members of Parliament on a number of occasions. So I think the government, uh, you know, taking its uh, its responsibilities to maintain public safety very seriously indeed. But you have to look at this in context. There are many who want visible action. We had a slow response to the flooding, to the incident over in the Middle East at the start of the year. Labour calling Johnson a part-time prime minister. Isn't this whole strategy from the government just politically quite risky? No, I, I don't think I don't think it's at all. I mean, I, I think the government working around the clock to try and keep people safe on the basis of uh, the coronavirus. It's a worldwide problem, as you're, as you're aware. We have relatively um, low numbers of cases compared with other European countries, and we're taking the uh, advice from the scientists. We have to be guided 
by the experts in how to manage uh, uh, issues such as uh, coronavirus. Well, that's true. You have to be guided by the science. But also, I mean, and the key part of what an active government has to do is to keep the public with it, keep the public on board, make sure they're confident, particularly in a situation like this. And when, frankly, I mean, uh, the health secretary is reasonably evident, but most of the rest of the government don't seem to be apparent. And a lot of people are wondering if that's because they know something they're not telling. Well, I, I, I think that's a, a conspiracy theory. I mean, they got the... The Prime Minister did a press uh, a briefing yesterday uh, and, and, and speech with uh, both the chief medical officer on one side and the chief science, scientific officer on the other side of him, um, who also were available to answer questions, all the questions that journalists wanted to ask. There's nothing being hidden at all. No, but when he had that meeting, famously, in that press conference, there'd been a lot of delay. There was also a delay in a COBRA meeting, quite famously, over a weekend. I mean, you, you don't just wait, wait for Saturday and Sunday to go by if you're taking a crisis seriously. Well, I, I think it depends on whether you think that um, a given meeting is a definition of, of taking a crisis seriously or whether you want action rather than, rather than meetings. I mean, you know, the government's taken action very promptly to manage these uh, cases. Those people who um, needed to be uh, in quarantine were in quarantine. We heard from those people themselves how well looked after uh, and well cared for they felt during that experience, despite the difficulties uh, faced with it. So, I, I, you know, the people who have become ill have received the very best of the National Health Service's care to give them the very best chance of recovery. So the strategy seems to be let's delay this, let's allow this to play out over a longer period of time to give the NHS the ability to deal with people that it needs to to reduce the strain on the health service. The question then is what does that say about funding for the NHS? Even the fact that we have a winter crisis that happens every year implies that not enough is being done here. So, so I, 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 again, you know, the government's been very, very clear that the ex- extra resources that are needed will be provided. The um, Chancellor, uh, again, uh, on um, the BBC at the weekend was saying, you know, whatever uh, resources are required from the Treasury will be provided. Well, Dr. Johnson, I mean, you you know uh, the way that the NHS is already. We, every winter we have uh, crisis, crises about beds not being available, about the difficulties, the strains that are being put on the health service. You must have heard these yourselves, even in your constituency. Isn't, doesn't that say something about our preparedness for this, that we, we've got into a position where we can barely maintain what's normal, let alone what's abnormal? Well, again, you know, I mean, I still work as a consultant paediatrician and, and, you know, obviously there are challenges in the winter in as much as there are more cases of respiratory illness over winter than there are in the summer. And that, again, is part of the strategy of managing this virus, because if we can contain the number of cases and then uh, if it goes beyond that, delay the spread of the virus, then we can reduce the number of patients um, that are ill at a given amount at a given time, i.e., reduce the peak of um, of cases and um, push the um, the peak out in towards the summertime, when we know that the disease is likely to be less transmissible, and the NHS resources will not be getting the pressure they get from other viruses such as flu over the winter period. Do, do we simply then need more doctors and nurses in these hospitals? The government has been talking about potentially bringing people out of retirement to fill these roles. So the government's looking at reasonable worst-case scenario, uh, and, and as the health secretary has said, it's working for the best, but preparing, uh, you know, for the reasonable worst-case scenario. And part of that does involve looking at 
if we have a shortage of resources relatively as a result of a very high number of patients becoming unwell at the same time, including NHS staff. What other options do we have available? And it's right of any responsible government to look at what other options are available to them, including uh, looking at those who've recently retired and what um, what offer their skills could provide to the country as a whole. Let's move on, if we could, Doug Johnson, to kind of what, what the consequences may be. And what we're talking about, obviously, is, in effect, more money. We, we need more money for a lot of public services that are under strain, not least, uh, obviously, because of the virus. Now, we've got the budget tomorrow. Would you personally like to see a budget in which perhaps some of the bigger projects are put on hold simply to make sure we have the money to deal with the current crisis? Well, I think the government will be mindful of the uh, coronavirus issue as the budget is being prepared. And it may well be that some, uh, you know, I don't write the budget, I'm not privy to what it says, but it may well be that there are some things that have been changed as a result of the need to prioritise the response to coronavirus. What sort of things do you think those might be? Well, you know, I don't write the budget, I don't know. I mean, we've we've heard some plans that might be in place, we've heard some rumours of what might be in the budget. Um, You know, as a... um, as a consultant pediatrician, I'm very pleased to see that um, there are rumours of extra money for those people who have uh, babies earlier than expected. These are a patient group that I've cared for for uh, many years, and um, I've seen the difficulties that families face when they unexpectedly find themselves with a child in hospital for what can be 12, 12 weeks and more. Uh, and, and and I think if, if the plan is to um, enable those people to get extra uh, leave as a result, it, it, that can that, that will be a good thing. But where's this money going to come from? Presumably the government is going to end up breaking fiscal rules to allow this. Well, I think we'll have to we'll have we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what it shows uh, tomorrow. But I'm sure that, you know, we're a conservative government will be looking very carefully to ensure the books are well balanced. Let me move on to another issue which is very key at the moment, in fact today, which is Huawei. Now you'll be aware, obviously, of the controversy about Huawei, and I gather a number of your colleagues are planning potentially to try to change the government's direction if they can. This is kind of the first revolt, really, amongst Conservatives. Conservatives who are unhappy with the idea of Huawei being involved, at least for a long time, inside uh, Britain's uh, new technological developments. What's your view on it? Well, again, the you know, again, as with coronavirus, the priority of any government is to keep public, uh, the public safe, to look after its population. And uh, first of all, the government uh, did uh, decide that a total ban would apply to Huawei taking part in our sensitive networks, locations such as military bases, and that's very important because it's via those networks that our intelligence is shared. Um, the core networks will also be protected, so it's only. Uh, going to allow the government's only going to allow market share of up to 35% in the peripheral parts of those networks, which um, the experts in intelligence feel will uh, protect us. But it looks like the honeymoon is over for the Prime Minister. Uh, well, I, I, I believe he's engaged, so it's interesting. <laughs> it's quite up to the honeymoon just yet. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. 
I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. Roger, kick us off. Yeah, and there was an interesting piece in the uh, Mirror, in fact, Mirror newspaper. Uh, Boris Johnson's response to the coronavirus is a huge political gamble, says Jason Beatty. Boris Johnson, a man not known for his sense of responsibility, Jason writes, is now discovering the hard way the responsibilities which come with leadership. The government's gradualist approach to tackling coronavirus may be based on the best medical and scientific advice, but it risks looking complacent when compared with the drastic action taken by the Italian government. This is a huge gamble by Johnson, Jason says. He can say he was guided by the experts that if, and it's a big if, this course of action proves unsatisfactory, then the blame will lie at his door. So much is unknown. We've no idea yet how much disruption virus will cause to people's lives or to the economy. And then Huawei, we touched on it briefly with Caroline Johnson in the first part of the programme. Boris Johnson expects to face a rebellion from his own backbench MPs later, of some extent. Anyway, it's over a vote about whether Huawei uh, can uh, continue to build the UK's 5G network. They want to stop the tech company being used uh, by the end of 2022. So essentially a three-year deadline to remove Huawei from the UK's network. It's the first real sense of discord we're getting from within the Conservative Party, although there are a lot of hurdles to jump over, not least getting the amendment selected and getting the numbers. I think the rumbling are that they may not have the numbers, but they're saying it's about getting this on the agenda. Well, don't forget, he's already he's got an 80 majority anyway to play with. But one other thing relating to the budget tomorrow, uh, the question always comes up, of fuel duty. Now, there's been a decade-long price freeze on the amount of tax you pay on your petrol. Uh, But in fact, whether or not that changes tomorrow, and it might, there's relief for the drivers because of the oil price battle between Saudi Arabia and Russia led to a slump in oil prices, which is being pulsed on in part to consumers. Supermarket Asda, for example, has announced a price cut of tuppence per litre. Asda said these are the lowest fuel prices since November 2017. So there could be more of that to come. Tuppence, Roger, really? Yes, tuppence, come on. (laughs) Two pence. Oh, when was the last sense. time we had a tuppence? It was the 70s, wasn't it? Oh, please. There's 2p. <laughs> All right. Let's when was the last time you saw 2p? Uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the coronavirus. Italy on lockdown. The country becoming the first democracy since World War II to announce a simultaneous quarantine and nationwide curfew. There's a fact for you. As it seeks to battle Europe's worst outbreak of the virus. You've got also got schools in Madrid, universities in Austria and Portugal closed. And the Dutch Prime Minister calling on people in the country uh, to work from home or at least in the province that's been hardest hit in the Netherlands. So the question is, is Britain's approach the right way to go, given the number of cases we've got here? So joining us now is John Lauman, once again, Bloomberg's health editor, helping us make sense of all of this as the story develops so quickly. Uh, John, so we had hospitals in Italy's worst affected areas close to breaking point. We spoke a bit about the NHS in the first part of the programme. Yeah, we had a story about this uh, overnight um Our reporters talked with uh, uh, doctors uh, working in Italy, um, particularly in Lombardy, which is one of the worst affected areas there. And as you know, economic engine really for Italy, something like a fifth of GDP comes out of the Lombardy region. So it's a crucial region. Uh, The first to be locked down, um, some 17 million people uh, involved or covered by that uh, lockdown area. 
and uh, now the entire country. Well, the reason for that, I think, uh, you know, certainly contributing to it was um, just the horrific state of hospitals there. We we got some uh, we, we we talked with people who working in those hospitals where it's really uh, a very severe situation with something like 80 percent of the uh, hospital or, or sorry, um, uh, 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 severe treatment beds being occupied with people so with coronavirus. Kind of a breaking point for them. Uh, yeah, definitely a breaking point for them. And um, uh, uh, specialists from other areas, non-lung specialists being recruited to uh, treat uh, coronavirus patients. I mean, what's happened in, in Italy looks and sounds drastic, and it is. Um, but in comparison with what's happening here, I mean, is there a sense that perhaps the UK is coming late to the feast? I mean, they're not doing the same kind of thing. Should they be? Well, I think, you know, obviously, uh, Italy right now has the second biggest outbreak of anywhere but China. And they also have a very high death rate there. They have uh, many, many people who are going into into uh, ICUs. Um, there's nothing like that here. I think right now what they're, what they're looking at in the government is just saying, well, look, if we're going to take these measures, if we're going to take measures anything like this, it's going to have to be something that's sustainable. And we're, you can't keep people in lockdown forever. And you also, you can't ask people to lock themselves down uh, if they're not seeing a crisis. And they're not seeing a crisis here right now. So I think, you know, uh, they're, they're doing the most politically expedient thing. Plus, they're, I think that w- what they're thinking about is what are we going to be able to sustain over the long term um, when this disease does come and visit us? Mm, it's a fantastic culture experiment, isn't it, around <laughs> compliance and what different nationalities will do as told by their government. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's a whole different conversation. John, thanks so much. That's John Lauman, Bloomberg's health editor. Well, let's move it on and look at the economic impact of the coronavirus. Joining us now is Josie Dent, senior economist at the Centre for Economics and Business Research. Uh, Josie, uh, simple question then, how much, well, I suppose it's not that simple, how much could this cost the UK? We don't quite know how long it's going to go on for, but we've already seen the markets uh, reacting in quite a drastic way. And then on a consumer level, a lot of panic buying, a lot of companies doing uh, better and worse as a result. Yeah, I mean, in terms of how much it will cost, it's it's hard to answer, but we've done some analysis um, and tried to put a number on it. Um, so through looking at the labor force just in London um, and considering people who might be able to do some work from home and those who wouldn't be able to work, like in manufacturing, um, we estimate that it would cost around a third of output, around half a billion pounds per day in, t- in terms of lost output just in London. But given that London is very important for the whole of the UK economy, um, that's um, a significant chunk of output per day. Um, and that comes to around 2.4 billion a week. Um, yeah, times and, by five. So just in London, it has a massive number associated with it. And, and that is in the circumstance, Josie, when a, a total lockdown or just as far as we're going at the moment? Yeah, sorry, that is a total lockdown in London in terms of people having to stay at home. So the people who might be able to do some work from home um, would still produce economic output. And actually, I think it's interesting that, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't, that would have cost a lot more because people staying at home would have mean, meant nearly no one could do any work. But now, actually, most of the service sector, which makes up most of the London economy, um, can actually do at least something from home. So actually, that's why we're not seeing a bigger number. But yet, yeah, that number, half a billion, is associated with kind of a total lockdown of London. Um, people can't um, do business at work. They have to stay at home. And for how long would you be thinking that that would be to cost that amount? 
Um, well, it's very tricky to tell. So that was a daily amount that we estimated. Um, I mean, we have seen what after a, over a month in China, number of cases have started to fall, but that was, you know, a month or more of lockdown. So, I mean, I think at least a month if, if the situation gets bad enough that we need a lockdown of London or even the rest of the UK, um, you know, we could easily see um, the amount of time that it's taken to curb the issue in China that's, you know, started, well, at the beginning of the year recently, but didn't get really bad until the end of January. So if we do get to that stage, it sounds like a very expensive procedure, a serious dent to the economy. Are we talking about a recession here? We've had lots of comparisons with 2008 after yesterday's market route. Does that play through in the economy as well? I mean, it's very difficult to see with a number that large how it wouldn't end up in a recession. It really depends how quickly we can bounce back because, well, a technical recession is two quarters of negative growth. So obviously right now we're still in Q1. So we might see a Q1 recession if um, if we do end up in March with a lockdown of um, important cities like London. If the situation improves due to you know drastic action taken, then maybe we can see a big bounce back in Q2, especially if kind of people demand what they, you know, people replace um, what they would have bought in Q1 with spending in Q2. But I mean, it's difficult to see um, how how it will play out in terms of the number of months that you're affected. Um, kind of if it carries on into Q2 um, and people kind of yet don't get back to spending what they were before, then we, then we could see um, kind of businesses continue to struggle and, and see two quarters of growth affected. And Jesse, I suppose there are lots of knock-on effects of this. We have the budget, of course, coming up tomorrow. But if there is a lockdown and companies are obviously not making money in the way there, the tax take is going to be dramatically down as well. Yeah, no, it can affect all corners of the economy. I mean, yeah, it's difficult to see how the new Chancellor won't be able to um, address this in the budget tomorrow. Um, And the government might need to take action in terms of um, helping businesses with cash flow problems. Um, And yet we might see central bank intervention. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think the Chancellor is going to have to address this. Um, And the government might also see cash flow issues as well as businesses. I mean, the government might be better placed to deal with it in that it can... um, handle debt a bit more maybe than small businesses, which, you know, if they see their order books fall considerably, potentially businesses in the tourism industry, which is already being heavily affected, um, you know, this might be the end of their business if if they can't um, get support from the government. So I think the government really needs to take action um, to support businesses if the situation does get much worse. and, and some businesses really struggle to, to see any demand for a length of time. So we used the phrase earlier in the show, is the cure worse than the disease then, do you think? Well, it might cost a lot of money to the government, yeah, to see, kind of see an economic cure um, in terms of helping businesses um, get through this difficult period. I mean, it is just a short period of time, hopefully, that we're going to see the amount of, um, you know, the amount of money that the government needs to pump into the economy to keep businesses um, afloat. Um, so, you know, it's not um, a systematic um, long-term issue. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.